The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever. The Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. Welcome to episode number 28 of the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. If you've joined us for one or two or three along the journey or you've been with us for all 28 or if this is your first time a very very big welcome to the napo or napa auto parts grassroots racing podcast where we uh, take a deep dive into names and faces and personalities and their story right across the australian motorsport and new zealand motorsport uh, landscape and for that matter we'll welcome anyone from around the world and we have done of course, Napa have the Grassroots Racing Academy or the uh, Grassroots Racing Academy at napaautoparts.com.au where you can catch up with uh, all the things to help your lap times or your stage times get better and better and faster and faster as you go through all of the fantastic features of the Academy. There is media training. There is social media training. There is setting up a proposal for sponsorship there is fitness and health training there is motorsport mindset with uh, various drivers across the board in fact we had supercar drivers right in the mix with all of that as well we've really enjoyed our journey right throughout the 28 episodes i'm darren smith and joining me as always is a bloke who has taken uh, like a duck to water, jumping into the green and white uniform at Speed Cafe in recent times. Welcome, Gary O'Brien. Good day to you, Darren. Good day to everyone. It's great to be back for yet another episode. Certainly is. We, um, as the name suggests, I think this is probably one of the more grassroots guests that we'll have on. Wouldn't you agree, Gaz? Oh, most definitely. Uh, not a racer as such. Well, actually, I should uh, rephrase that. Tried his hand at racing and didn't do so well. Crashed but it. that's, yeah, <laughs> I didn't like to say that. But yeah, that's still in the pipeline. But um, he's the man behind Blendline TV. And they're the grassroots uh, telecasters, you might say, live stream. And, and often you might see him on some of the digital channels. Uh, but in recent times has really stepped up the mark. And we've seen that with the uh, Asian Lamborghini Super Trofero series at the band and more recently the Shannon's Trophy series here at Sydney Motorsport Park in New South Wales. Uh, yeah, Daniel Beckersdale, he's the man that's right behind it. And he's the one that's been uh, the orchestrator of getting grassroots motorsport such wide coverage. Let's uh, welcome Daniel. Yeah, thanks, guys. Great, great to be here with with you two and having a chat. That's fantastic to have you on, Daniel. Uh, obviously, Gary and I have worked with you um, over numerous years and many, many events now. So it's it's really good to have, uh, I guess, a a, a, a well known friend to both of us on the podcast. And to, I guess, both of us are going to be probably surprised by some things that that might come out from <laughs> you because. 
let's face it, we all rush into a race meeting. Yeah. We're all trying to get things done. And then when, at the end of it, it's like that, that well, for, for me anyway, the microphone <laughs> goes off, headphone drop and off to the airport or whatever it, whatever it might be. But fantastic to have you on, Daniel. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Yeah, no worries. I mean, it's not an easy job to jump on the plane and get out of there. Some of us have to drive the van home, but you know, everyone. If it, if it journey, makes right? it, sometimes if it makes the it, van yeah, yeah, exactly. It's been a few times. Um, that's that's been fun along the way as well. But what do you do when you have, you know, like anything? It's not all brand new stuff that we run with. That's part of part of grassroots and part of this level of racing. So you got to sort of make a few things work and do what you can along the way. You know, so. Exactly. Exactly. Mm, mm. Daniel, we all, I always like to start off by saying, please give us dig deep, deep, deep into your memory and just give us that memory. The first time you were ever at the rally stage or a racetrack or whatever it was, the first time you went to motorsport and you might have thought in the back of your head, gee, I want to be a part of this. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I, like everybody, it started when I was a real little kid, you know, um, I absolutely adored car racing and, and motorbike racing and used to watch the 500s and and things like that. My family were probably bigger into bikes on most of the family, except for my dad, who was, you know, really into touring cars as well. Um, so I used to, you know, watch everything that I could. And I remember the days, probably my first memories are mid nineties, 500cc battles between, you know, BD and uh, yeah, Daryl Beatty and Kevin Swanson, McDoohan and all the like, and then watching touring car racing with, with you know, Brock and Scaife and all of those characters going around as well. But um, I think my first first race meeting I really remember, um, we went to the 500s at Eastern Creek the first year they went there. So what would that have been, 93 or something like that when the track was built? And I remember 91, standing, I think. 91. 91. Nissan 500. One of Perkins one? No, Perkins? that was the five hundreds. So As in the five hundred bikes, the bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. proper five hundreds, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> proper five hundreds. Um, and I remember standing uh down past the turn one grandstand right where they turn in and then the noise and everything like that was was pretty impressive. And then after that, I think it was probably early two thousands, dad and I went to Oran Park to see to see the five lead touring cars, you know. So um or V eight supercars as they would have been known by then. But um that was that was pretty cool as well. We stood over at the at the dog leg and watched them come over there each time. The old HRT, you know, lounge one two sort of days with scape and things like that. So, um, and then it just grew from there. So, um, always as a kid, I used to watch the broadcasts and I'd be the kid shouting at the TV screen that they'd got something wrong. You know, like no, this was this car in the gravel trap, not that car, and show a replay and you'll see what actually happened because I just decided to pay that much attention to it and and just love the sport from that so um like many of us it's been been a long journey i guess i guess that's where the uh, the importance of the replay got cemented into your, <laughs> yeah, into your psyche. exactly that's it just the replay and and watch what's actually happening as well you know so so many people sort of i felt at that time i guess didn't really follow what was going on in in a lot of the world like we didn't have it was probably a bit before we started really having the the broadcasters who um really really knew motorsport do you know what I mean like that was what they did when supercars television things came into being where it was still quite a disjointed you had a lot of different programs running different things and different channels having different you know broadcast rights so there was no real overarching um narrative that was going on until until later there so um that sort of thing i guess stuck with me when i was a kid that you just tell the story right and make sure you're paying attention to what's going on (laughs) 
How did you skip from being the kid at turn one or at the dog yep. leg at Warren yep. Park? How did that then link you to become involved professionally? Because that's what you yeah. are. You run a business well and truly within yep. the industry. Uh, yep. How did, what was the link between the kid and mm. then, then being the entrepreneur, let's say? Yeah. Well, I mean, for a few years I went over overseas um, and was traveling about and, you know, having a good time over there. And I came back in, in my early twenties and, um, decided that I really, you know, my dream was to be involved in, in motorsport. That was always, that was always the goal. Um, I didn't come from a background of family that raced or anything like that. We were all just, you know, my, my only contact was my dad who was a fan um, and my grandfather who was a fan. Um, so, you know, I didn't actually know how to get involved with motorsport. Um, and I picked up a job writing at Express Publications. I used to work for Street Fords and Street Commodores and Hot Fours and all those magazines were all in one one unit. So I picked up a job there as a writer. Um, so I was a staff writer for about two years um, with them. And during that time, I managed to swindle um, getting to do a couple of articles about motorsport and um i literally just typed into into google you know um types of car racing effectively um to try to figure out like i knew there was racing below supercars because you've been involved for so many years and you know you know that this sort of racing exists because there's always support categories um but just doing a bit of research and i managed to stumble upon production touring cars because they at the time had the best website pretty much around that was easiest to navigate um, and found out that they raced at state level race meetings and managed to get permission from my editor to go and do a story following um, a race car driver, you know, just at, at state level racing to sort of explain what this whole thing was. Um, and then from there, I started doing, you know, race reports at HSRCA events, um, picked up a few little writing pieces for different um the Appendix J magazine and different groups like that, just by basically knocking on the door and sending out as many emails as I could, making as many phone calls as I could in my spare time to figure out if there was anything that I could do where I could make a buck and also, you know, be involved. And it sort of started from there and continued on. So how did you switch? Sorry, sorry, Gaz, you go. The, um, yeah, the, the switch from doing writing media to mm. actually get involved behind a, cat, a lens <laughs> Mm. It was interesting. How did, what what made you even think of that as a as a an idea? Was it more to to expose something that wasn't being exposed? Yeah, I mean, there was what I guess I started doing those articles and and started doing a bit of following of different people and things. And while I was there, um, the magazines were pivoting more into video um because we were finding there was more audience there so i started doing you know interviews and things like that to be able to supplement the the story for the website you know so i started creating that and i found that a lot of people you know had gopros or early variations of gopros and i had a dslr camera so i started taking a few shots around the track and just sort of i always found personally it was very hard to watch two minute highlights of a race and understand what had happened. Do you know what I mean? I was very, mm. I was very like, this doesn't really make sense to me of what's going on or how things are or anything like that. Um, so I pieced together the in-car footage and what little track footage I had for, um, I think it was production touring cars at first and um, 
the competitors loved it, you know, and the feedback that came back to the committee was this was really, you know, really good. And we want to see more like this because it lets us see our race as well. Mm. Um, and I decided that it was something that I enjoyed doing enough. Um, you know, I was a, I was a, I was a passable photographer. I wasn't an amazing photographer and I'd been looking at it for a fair bit and sort of looked around and, you know, there's, there's some fantastic photographers through all level of Australian motorsport. Um, we're, we're, we're very lucky to have some great photographers at all levels who are really passionate about what they do. But I sort of looked at it and I went, this is probably in some regards too much competition to try to make a business out of. Do you know what I mean? There's too many other people here taking photos, taking really quality photos as well. I don't really see the business model for myself. And I sort of, from the experience of putting together the footage for the production car guys sort of went, well, I think there's more opportunity for me in video and I think there's more options I could do. So um, I put together a few deals with, with production cars and, 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 their group for the end of 2012 um i actually traveled with them to winton to cover their um endurance race meeting when they first went down there um and it all started with the pentax k5 dslr and a couple mm -hmm. of gopros that's all i had you know, <laughs> know. Wait, uh, just you yeah just just me on my own um i tried to hit like two spots or three spots during a race and then um, I'd sit and after after work each night, edit as much as I could until I had the full race together. Um, and, you know, they're, they're down there. They were two one and a half hour races. So it was three hours of racing mm. plus, you know, the interviews and, and then doing the call on, on, a, on a laptop post event because of course you know there was no money so it was all just trying to make it all work and yeah. um yeah we put it all together and that's really where it started and then in 2013 um sports sedans and hq holdens in new south wales both got involved as well and decided that they'd like some coverage and that really enabled me to sort of go out and rent a couple of cameras rather than you know sitting with the dslr and try to make it grow and everything since then has been basically investing every every spare cent and then some which you know um to the detriment of, of dealies who <laughs> who looks after the finances now um you know means that sometimes we we were overextending or whatever to try to make mm. the broadcast as best as we could but it was that you know there was a desire to really create as best quality as we could for that yeah daniel um what was the point where you walked away from writing and mm. and put that to one side? When when did that occur? Uh the end of twenty third uh mid twenty thirteen. So mid twenty thirteen I um I could see that there'd been a mass round of redundancies at the magazines. They'd let a lot of people go. Uh, they kept me because I could churn out articles and video. So they, you know, wanted to keep that rolling on. Um, but I'd had, you know, you sort of pay attention to anywhere you are at any point, you know, and, and sort of read what's going on. And um, I looked at it and I decided the environment wasn't really for me. Like I know a lot of really good people in um, the performance car industry and the street car industry and things like that. But for me, it just wasn't the place that I wanted to be. I didn't, you know, I didn't love it with a passion. You know, I love cars and I love automotive, but motorsport is really, really where I wanted to be. Um, and so mid 2013, um, one of my friends was graduating overseas and I decided I'd go see some friends, um, through Europe. And I decided that that was a good time to have a break. So I 
handed in my notice and the 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 bosses actually called me in and said, look, we don't really want you to go. <laughs> <laughs> we we want to keep you. Um, but you know, I I decided by then that the time was right for me to for me to leave. And it meant that, you know, I had no income and I had no sure way that any money was ever going to come in from what I was doing. I only had the three small category clients at that stage um, who had all shown, you know, great um, interest in what I was doing and support, but like, you know, the three categories doing post-produced TV shows at a grassroots level is not mega bucks, um, mm. but it was, you know, enough for me to go, I think there's something here and this is what I want to do. So um, I left, I did that trip. I, you know, spent every dollar I had to go see some friends one last time and then um, came back to Australia and, went full full hog into that so the next six months um yeah basically uh living at my grandparents place in a in a spare bedroom and continuing on which you know stayed for a couple of years as gary knows <laughs> it didn't didn't change from that for a little while so um yeah just building it on from there so with the with that transition over i mean my first experience of blend line mm. tv which is mm. as it came out of uh as you launched your your mm-hmm. uh entrepreneurial production company i guess <laughs> yeah um you were you were everything you were pointing the camera mm-hmm. you were asking questions mm-hmm. doing voiceovers post you were doing all of that sort yep. of thing talk us through you know the the challenges of of, of that very early time and trying to as you said trying to make a buck out of it it's mm. there's not a lot of money floating around at mm. that level at, yep. in the best of times <laughs> um so you know what 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 happened where did it go and who were the people that you sort of i guess you held on to them and said right i'm gonna try and drag you i'm gonna try and drag a story out of you and yeah and some sort of future yeah i mean i was i was lucky in many ways that um my family you know like everyone's family but you know my family especially for me um really has always cared and, and was interested in what I was doing. So they came out and lent a hand and my my dad and my mom and my sisters both at different times have turned cameras and we've been doing, you know, looking after looking after the kids while also turning cameras. Um Sydney Motorsport Park was really the main place in Wakefield where it where it happened initially because we did state level racing. Um so I used to, you know, you'd hire the camera gear on Friday afternoon from down in Artarman, the little store called DigiHire, um, which no longer exists, unfortunately, but um, they were, they were massively influential in, um, I guess in, in a lot of ways, like many things, they saw something worth supporting um, in me, which I'm internally thankful for. And they always gave me a really good deal on, on camera gear. Um, So I'd go down in the, in the, at the time I drove a VS wagon that was pretty bent up and dented up and all sorts. Gary, Gary's seen that vehicle a few times, <laughs> not make it to different events because it, you know, overheated or something went on. Um, and then I'd, you know, go back to the track and we'd film for the two days. We always wanted to make sure that we got every bit of racing we could get. Um, so we were always there the, the full two days and you'd run around and grab the interviews and sort that out. And, you know, sometimes, tech would work and sometimes tech wouldn't and it was all learning how those cameras worked and there was always that the goal was always more reach more zoom more ability to get the cars you know bigger in focus um and you know running around and doing that and just you know trying to make it all work and we used to have to download 
downloading the cameras used to take almost overnight because they'd record to an internal hard drive. And um, a great friend of all of ours, Mark Walker, um, knows this pain and he used to have it before that with tape, which I never had to deal with. But um, mm -hmm. the internal hard drive, we, him and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago about how you used to have to sit there and wait for like, you know, maybe 10 hours per camera <laughs> to download them all. And then you'd be rushing to try to get them back on Monday morning so you didn't have to, you know, pay extra and you're up all night to do that and then you're trying to make sure that you've got everything and edit it all and yeah so it was always three or four cameras because I wanted to make sure that we had as much track coverage as we could I'd never really liked one camera angle of a track I just didn't feel comfortable with that um and we'd put it all together uh on the mac at home um and it was a case of yeah do that we the first times I used to do commentary I had one one microphone so there were times where um people who'd come to help commentate we'd both be talking into one podcaster mic just sort of trying to take turns and make sure <laughs> it all it all happened still a bit smoothly um and yeah just trying to save up every dollar i could to be able to take the next step do the next level increase what we could do um in 2015 i think we went to bathurst for the first time to film and I was looking back at it the other day and we we filmed Bathurst with four four handy cams and two GoPros, which I don't know that you'd ever try to do anymore. But, you know, at the time we thought it was, wow, how much coverage are we going to get, you know? That was um, the Easter meeting, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was Yeah, the yeah, I remember meeting. that, yeah. That happened there. The Formula 3s uh, mm -hmm. were one of the main yeah. categories, weren't they? Yeah, did, that was... Did one of them lose, lose a GoPro at that meeting? Uh, yeah, they did uh, down Conrad, I think it was. One yeah, of the, one of the that's right. One. Um, it wasn't one of ours. For any Motorsport oh. Australia officials listening, it wasn't one of my wasn't one of my <laughs> cameras. It was a um a different camera. But yeah, there was a few things that happened on that meeting, including uh, I know that a couple of animals got out onto Conrad Strait as well at one point, and that played havoc with with them trying to throw yellows and get rid of get rid of animals off the straight. So see in twenty twenty three if you on. said that we'd go on a Blendline TV crew, a couple of animals out on the <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So um yeah one and then... commentator from Melbourne. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Don't let him out of the box. He, he can't leave there. Um but yeah, no, and it was all it was all just learning. You know, everything yeah. you learn you put into the next one. So mm. back in that that time between let's say twenty thirteen and twenty fifteen, was there yeah. some some light bulb moments or some memorable moments that you went, oh, I was heading in the wrong direction with that, or oh, this is we need to go there. Look at that. There's the hole yeah. in the there's the hole in the market, and I need to plug it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, what for a while there probably wasn't not no direction, but there wasn't a um, I didn't really see it as a long term thing. Do you know what I mean? Like I I sort of was hoping to build something and do enough commentary and things like that that perhaps I'd open myself an avenue in the in the industry um what became what became apparent within those couple of years was that there was something there that was was building um i think at the time a lot of people probably didn't see that there was the opportunity for something like that to grow in the grassroots motorsport area um and that's not you know not a comment on any individual person or anyone in the industry as a whole it's just everyone's so busy in their own things that are going on do you know what I mean um but grassroots motorsport was probably really growing in Australia as well at that time it was starting to become more known um and more people were getting involved with it which was sort of changing what was happening um 
I think for me in that time, we had a few struggles. So uh, I think around 2016, but the writing was on the wall in like 2015. Um, we were on community television at that time, you know, and that was our big sales point. We were on free to wear community TV. And um, in that period, they shut down um, community TV um, in New South Wales. That was when the big fight happened for, you know, the the spectrum space that ultimately has never been used or anything like that. But the New South Wales channel decided to shut down. And that was a really tough time for us because we didn't know where we were going to be able to take things. Um, you know, people knew of this thing called YouTube, but it wasn't really that well known. Um, even even things like, you know, the bigger leagues of Shannon's Nationals and things like that were doing live streaming, but it wasn't really a known product or known what it could do. You know, it hadn't really grown to what we know it as today. So there was a lot of stuff where we just, we weren't sure where we were going to be able to take it. I knew I had this thing and I knew that I could build it into something, but I didn't really know where it could go. Do you know what I mean? Like where it would live in the landscape of Australian motorsport. So, so that was, that was about the time Gaz, when you and I that. were pioneering into live streaming and, uh, you know, we were leading <laughs> the way with the, the Shannon's nationals and <laughs> been doing, things, been doing things there for a few years. Yeah. On, yeah. on our way to over a hundred race meetings in a row. That's, that's right. That's right. That's Gaz. We got, there's our opportunity that we're done now. You can start talking. again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, for me, um, as you guys, as both know the Shannon's nationals and, and those semi-national um, like not, not full top tier, but you know, semi-national and national level race meetings were, were the goal. That was where we wanted to end up being as a, as a motorsport broadcaster um, and full focus on, on circuit racing was, was trying to develop something like that and grow it. Um, which is why, you know, we, we did, start looking at things and I think the TVS thing and the and the reality of TV um started me down the track of live broadcasting is is where we need to head we need to pivot the company towards that um post produced is great we can make a lot out of it but really if we want to grow to be known as a broadcaster we need to be doing live so we started investing in in that technology and, and in those areas um, probably a long time really before the market could sustain it or even really afford it. But um, it was sort of one of those things of like, we had to, we had to do the learnings, you know, we, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and the only way to find out was to go and do and, and make some mistakes along the way, which, you know, <laughs> some of what we did. Yeah. Well, when you think about it back then, not every household could have streamed well, no, not even a small portion, really. But th today we've got computers, phones, mm. smart TVs, exactly. any any way, shape, or form that you can mm. see YouTube or mm -hmm. any sort of social media. So you're getting streaming all the time now, and so you would have been up against it back then because the the try and uh, get the word out would have been fairly hard, even. Yeah, it was it was quite difficult, and I remember you know, just even trying to understand how it all worked. There was no handbook, you know, there was no, no, as not even anywhere near as much information as you could find today on YouTube or Google or Facebook or anything mm -hmm. like that about how to do it. I was calling up, you know, fiber optic cable places, trying to understand what OS 2-4C-265 <laughs> was. Do you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. and I'd just be like, well, will it conduct video signals? And they're like, oh, you know, we'll come back to you. And so I was trying to find that sort of thing out. And I remember 
Um, I think 2016 was the first time we we started doing some test live broadcasts because we actually got the IPRA Nationals broadcast, which Darren was was part of as one of our first ever broadcasts. And um, I remember was I was that 2014, 2016. 16. We did remember we did 2014, didn't we? We did that as a post-produced, yeah. Uh, so that yeah, was okay. that was when we yep. we turned up with seven cameras around Wakefield Park to try to mm. get some action. That was the one where Ray Hislop uh, dropped it down at Bunkered. Yeah, yeah. Went in while leading. After. Kevin Ledger adored him <laughs> halfway around the track, trying to get past, and then he pushed a bit too hard to stay in front. But no, the the, the actual what happened at that meeting was that Ray got a five second penalty off to start because mm, he mm. jumped to start because he the only way he felt he could win is he had to beat the Subaru off the line. Yeah. So he got the five second penalty, but he was six seconds or seven seconds in front. But yeah. he thought it was a 10 second penalty. So yeah. that's why he pushed and pushed and pushed. And yeah. then spun off down at turn two and it was no, all exactly. over. All over and Ledger managed to take it. But yeah. um it was did, a good you ask, did you ask did you ask Gary there. for those final details, Daniel, or did he just go off? But he just he just Gary Gary I likes to make sure the stories off. are old correctly, you know. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. right. I, I know how this worked out. <laughs> yeah, you should know above everyone, Darren. There's only a couple of endearing things from the <laughs> in... twenty sixteen internationals that I remember and Daniel doesn't like me for those memories. <laughs> so, I was gonna say uh, in my leave defense, that right alone. <laughs> in my defense, the twenty fourteen nationals did start with Kev Ledger getting in front. So, you know, yeah. um if you go back and watch the footage, it is there. Um no, the 2016, uh, we were putting together the broadcast. We got the IPRA Nationals coverage deal at um, Island Magic. And um, I knew that we needed to have, you know, network connectivity. And so I actually ended up going to a Telstra business store to discuss with them how to do, you know, network connectivity in remote areas. And I remember them having no idea and they're asking <laughs> me questions about how do you, how do you connect to it? And I was like, well, that's why I'm here. I'm trying <laughs> to find out this information. So um, they, they weren't a whole lot of help then even because they didn't really know what I was trying to achieve and how we were trying to achieve it. And then you end up, you know, we, we turn up to Phillip Island and, um, I think we broadcasted that event with with three wireless signals, 300 meters of fiber optic and a generator, you know, and then Darren and I are there hiding behind a blanket halfway down the van to try to stop the sound of the director coming through to the com box. Uh, which, and which Derek was, Linton trying to come through the front window. Yeah, yeah exactly. He got, got turned down the main straight in that mega shot. Oh, I remember was, that. I was like, watching that. Right yeah, 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 right. yeah. I was like, we, we couldn't yeah. get the camera shot to see who it was. No. So I just sort of went <laughs> yeah. out the front of the van and went, Oh no, that's Beric. He's part of yeah. BMW right there. Yeah, that was that was a big one. And um it was a good weekend though, in the end. We got it all together and made it all work. But um you look back on it now and you sort of realize like it's come it's come quite a long way <laughs> since then. Um to be able to to be able to have it like that. And that was before we'd even built anything into the van. So yeah, you gotta start somewhere. A lot Daniel, of stress this... would have been uh, spilled in those days. <laughs> <laughs> A bit. <laughs> and he had the, the, the stressful bit. language had to be abated because of the commentary booth was sitting right next to him. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Uh, yeah. Daniel, the, 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 the van came along mm -hmm. oh, like great fortune. It, it sort of, I yeah. guess, arrived in your lap. And up until three weeks ago was your, your, your <laughs> sturdy workhorse that you rode to work every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no. that was certainly a, a, a turning point, wasn't it? Because all of a sudden you're mm -hmm. now mobile and you could travel mm -hmm. interstate. You could leave the... I guess the home ground of New South Wales and 
branch out. Yeah. Well, we always knew that, you know, if if you want to be able to broadcast remotely from from anywhere, you need to have as much of it prepped before you leave home as you can. And that's where you have an OB van or OB truck or anything like that from supercars all the way down. Um, you know, that's how those things are are done and put together. But um I was I was very lucky. The the OB van that I got was in 2008 Ford Transit, which was formerly an engineering uh, company truck for my for my grandparents who owned an engineering company in in Botany in New South Wales, and um, I was lucky enough to be able to purchase that off them on a um, longer term family arrangement, shall we say? Um, so I got to be able to be able to buy that, and we fitted it out with with everything that we needed for being able to do the live broadcast after we did that first one in in November of 2016. And we came back and we built it as best we could. And the original design for it was the com box in the front and the OB area in the back and um you two you two guinea pigs got to be got to be the first the first users of that back in i think it was march of 2016 or something like that where uh was it the wasn't it uh september meeting at sydney motorsport park yeah it was muscle car masters i can't remember what yeah what what time frame it was but i remember it was quite a hot weekend and we hadn't put air conditioning in it yet because i couldn't afford to buy a can i think it was when they pushed that I think it was when it was pushed back because the supercar meeting was too close to it in late August and it got pushed back to something like October or November. Yeah. It was a great uh, weight loss. uh, I was going to say, I was was just trying to help you both lose, lose a few of the beer. Oh, eight kilograms. Yeah, yeah right. I tell you the other, the other one, the other one, which, which uh, I'll throw myself on the sword here was um, David Wall driving the Mustang, and I went round to the wrong side of the car to get the post race interview. <laughs> and Gary still rolls over laughing about that one. I'm like, oh, hang on, it's not a right hooker; it's a left hooker. Here I am, hung out to dry. Yeah, that would have been the Corvette, wouldn't it? No, no, no. It was um, it was the Mustang. The um, oh, the, the XP Gagan Gagan Mustang. Car. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one, if people go back and watch and listen very carefully at the beginning of one of the races, they'll hear me make a um a uh, a moment into the commentary box for you both as car goes spearing off, and I was a little bit upset with with how the calling and the and the camera oh, work had gone for that two, moment. I remember that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, gave, yeah. gave a bit of a character reference to the yes. whole the whole broadcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which yeah, that came times. through our headphones as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I'll ever forget the pause of Gary. And I think our director's <laughs> not very happy next door. <laughs> so, yeah. so I kick the wall. So um, I think the thing that you start to learn after a while is, you know, not everything can be perfect in every broadcast. And sometimes <laughs> the imperfections are what makes it what it is, you know. So um, that's not to Nine say Nine times that. out of ten, those watching don't know. No, no. Many exactly. times we've, we've yeah, bitten our tongue it. and gone, well, wow, that didn't come out well. And that's you, it. you check out the social yeah. media just for, did anyone yeah. get onto that? No. Yeah. No, that, oh, that's, Mr. That's, that's one of the things that I, um, you know, I, I'm lucky to have a great group of people around me now. Um, it's taken a long time of building people up. And that's not to say there were bad people along the way. Just, you know, you get to a really good um, unit that's tight knit. And, um, you know, a couple of the guys who I have direct, as you both know, are a couple of Travs and um, they're learning as they go and, and developing their own voice and everything like that. And one of the one of the great points of being able to, I guess, train somebody else or, or give them the reins and let them start to learn is that 
you know, you, you start to have more of an understanding of nobody outside of the director's chair knows what you were trying to do at that moment. Or if you're not telling exactly what you wanted to showcase, you can still get to it. As long as you don't, as long as you don't stress out and you don't start causing drama through the broadcast, then, you know, everything's going to be okay. You can get back to the battle. You can change what you're looking at. You can get to something a little bit late if you have to, but you'll be able to find the story because people don't realize, uh, you know, I've, I've chucked a few guys into the, into the director's chair and they don't realize like just how quick motorsport happens when it's happening. You know, mm. when a race is on and you're looking at 10 cameras in front of you with action happening in everything. And you're trying to track where that one battle group is that the commentators are talking about. And you want to get ready for the pit lane to come to, or something like that. People don't realize just how quickly it's all coming at you in the heat of the moment. And it's, yeah, yeah it's funny. You should say that there was this great mm. story. And I can't remember. It was an ABC commentator many years ago. Was um, was either Drew Morford or Alan Marks or one of those guys? Oh, Drew Morford, the famous <laughs> motorsport commentator. <laughs> but anyway, they were caught. They he had to call. I think it was a Storwall gift or something very mm. similar to that. Mm. So it's a hundred meter sprint. Mm-hmm. So he was given the reins. He said, "You've got to call this as it happens." So the gun went off. And he didn't utter one word until after it was finished. <laughs> <laughs> he was just gobsmacked yep. that it went yep. so quick. That's it. Exactly. And, and I mean, that that's, can happen. That's it. And I mean, that's why processes become important. Yeah. We have, we have processes for the beginning of every race and I'll talk the cameramen through, you know, for the first two shots at any track, really, there's not really enough time to call out if something's happening. You've got to give an overview of these cars are out of position that's a car that I think is going to do something interesting. Watch for this, be ready, but you've got to make your own choice because by the time I'm seeing it, it's too late for me to tell you what's happening. You know, the the cameramen often tell me on the, on the opening lap, you can hear that you're seeing something, but I've already started panning because the, the battle group's happening or the pass is happening or yeah, whatever, exactly. you know, and you can't, you can't interfere with that natural flow right at that moment. So there's a lot of times where you just sort of go, well, I've given them all the information I can give them. I can't yell at the mid pan because then everybody's going to, you know, see something get jerky or, or things will go start dominoing into, into a problem where I don't want to be. So a lot of it in those opening stages in that first hundred meters is just, you know, muscle memory and making sure that you've got what you're used to going to and how you're used to doing things. And can I just but, drag you back to the the timeline, mm-hmm. I guess, of, of your yeah. your time? Um, I forgot to mention it earlier on. Um, the ten this is ten years of, this is, of yeah. Blendline TV, isn't it? Yeah, this is this is uh, this is year ten. Um, uh, what twenty thirteen? I guess I start class really as year one because twenty twelve I was working other jobs, you know, and everything like that was going on. Twenty thirteen was really where it first became the first thing that I did. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been going since then. And the last few years have been very focused on live broadcasting. We managed to weather COVID as well, which a lot of people, you know, had to work their way through. Um, We ended up, it was probably beneficial for us. We were, we were in some ways getting set to probably have a very quiet year. Um, We'd had a lot of change in the business. There'd been change in who we were working with and, and what we were looking to do. Um, but then, you know, the way that the way that motorsport restarted after COVID really 
um, sort of played to where our strengths were, you know, so we were able to be there and ready when, when people wanted to try to do more online things and test, test the waters with that. And um, again, very lucky to have a crew that also is very passionate about motorsport. A lot of them are motorsport fans or involved in motorsport in some way. Um, so that when, when COVID came back, they weren't all looking for top dollar for their work. They were just wanting to help get racing back being seen by people. So we were able to, you know, ramp it up um, with, with more and more work. So that's been a really beneficial thing. Just go back to that, that, COVID initial mm-hmm. era because you and I yeah. in those first few weeks of federal <laughs> government lockdown were in regular contact and you yes. introduced me as a commentator to the world of sim racing which I did 20, <laughs> 20 events with you and after yep. the 20th event said that's ah, enough for me that's enough yeah no um sim racing sim racing was a good or still is um quite a good time I've, I've made um been very we were very fortunate we were able to um, probably pivot into it a bit um, and be involved with the community. Um, and, uh, you know, I lo- know a lot of races from sim racing and funnily enough have, have established, you know, working relationships from that time in the sim racing. We were, we, we decided that we wanted to create something that was more realistic motorsport. And that's why we got yourself involved, Aaron, and, you know, did the broadcast and, weekly was managing a um a race series and i tell you what that gave me a lot of respect and time for um especially national level category managers when you're having to deal with you know so many different people with different <laughs> questions and different opinions on how something should run um you know being able to deal with that we had i think at our peak 50 or 60 people involved and it was it was a full-time job just to try to manage you know an online race series that was not paying us anything or doing anything more than taking up a real lot of my time um but you know the core crew who is still there that we race with we do, we do weekly racing um just for a bit of relaxation and you know have a bit of banter and talk a bit of crap and you know <laughs> be able to relax and get away from it all um it's really good and it's been a really positive thing for for me personally but also for the business um we were able to you know develop that into into developing some contracts that enabled us to get working again once once racing real world came back and a few of those friends were able to help me also get get on track myself for for that little adventure of project race car that we undertook for a season last year unfortunately that car is still off the road because now work's gotten too busy to be able to spend any time repairing it but being able to create those friendships was a really big thing and you know that's that's definitely helped cement um you know my life in motorsport i would say tell us about project race car who's who thought of it and <laughs> who activated it and uh, who destroyed and what, what, it yeah <laughs> who destroyed it yeah great thanks Eric. um <laughs> i didn't say that <laughs> so project race car was born out of a desire to race um you know i'd always i'd always wanted to i could never afford I wish it you'd called me on that um, i could have talked you completely out of it oh yeah yeah, yeah i think a lot of people did think about trying to convince us out of it but um it was kind of a um kind of a covid um ending you know little journey to be able to go on um so travis annabelle who who works with me a lot on on broadcast and on on things with Blendline tv and is very passionate about the product as well um he wanted to get racing as well. So we decided that we'd try to buy a race car um, through our contacts with online sim racing and, and people we knew, we decided that we'd buy a Pulsar. So we got an N15 Nissan Pulsar, um, which was half or three quarters of the way built for the um, 
the Australian Pulsar Racing Association. Um, funnily enough, we bought it during the time of lockdowns when New South Wales or Sydney residents couldn't enter Canberra and the car was from Canberra. So we ended up getting one of our mates who lived in regional New South Wales to go into Canberra to get the race car pay for it for us and bring it to Goulburn where we did an exchange behind the big Merino, almost like some sort of <laughs> dodgy exchange late at night. And I remember one of the, one of the people, cause we had to start the car up to get it off one trailer and onto the next. And um, one of the people in the truck stop started shouting at us like nobody's business that we were being so loud. Um, and we'd literally just idled this car from one trailer to the next. Like we hadn't done anything silly. We'd just taken it off and put it on because we we wanted to get out of there. We wanted to get home. You know, it was 10 o'clock at night or something. Um and we we bought this we bought this race car and we were like two little Cheshire cats like happy as that we'd you know purchased our own race car. And then the thing that you don't think about when you buy a race car is it's probably 90% working on a race car and 10% doing the race car bit, you know? Um, and so we spent the 90% doing, putting the race car together. Um, and it was hard to keep motivation. We were lucky that it was probably ready for track days um, reasonably. So we could go do some. Um, and we did a few track days down at Wakefield park and, and, you know, got used to the car and decided that after doing a few of those, we were going to attack the Sydney 300, um, which is a great event run by Tenny, Terry Denovan every year. And it's usually oversubscribed and we decided we'd have a run in it. So we um, got the car together and we put an endurance tank into it and did all sorts of work in the warehouse, many late nights trying to get it ready and um, got to the Sydney 300. But the biggest problem was, uh, well, multiple big problems. Number one, we weren't prepared really for for going door to door racing yet. Number two, I'd never driven the car at Sydney Motorsport Park, let alone in the rain, and it was probably the wettest July weekend on record in Sydney for the last five years. Um, we went out on practice on the Friday night, and the wipers broke, so we couldn't see anything, and the the setup of the car was atrocious so it went from understeer to oversteer to back to understeer three times through the corner you couldn't turn in um so we went home on friday night with our tail between our legs very very worried about doing a 300 kilometer race on sunday with some very fast cars in it um and then on sunday morning we got there and um we put a setup in the car and uh, it felt a bit better. So we both you know did our practice session and it was decided that i'd jump in for qualifying and probably the biggest thing of that was we were trying to run the broadcast at the same time. And, you know, I had a lot, I had a lot that I was thinking about with trying to make sure that everything was running there. And I jumped in the car and at first the, um, probably should have known when I jumped in the car and the steering wheel wouldn't go on that this might not be the session for me. Um, we had, we lost five minutes of the qualifying session, just trying to get the steering wheel to actually mount, um, on the quick release because it had somehow failed something. Um, we got it on there and got out and, you know, I was feeling pretty confident and uh, had a half spin on the warm up lap because I was trying a bit too hard to warm up the tires. Like I was some sort of pro race car driver. Um, and then did the session and during the qualifying session, I'd set the fast, my fastest time of the weekend and I was on a quicker time. And, um, that event uses a race receiver in your ear to tell you, you know, red flag or whatever's going on. And as I came around corporate Hill, the race receiver in my ear went, you know, check and flag end of session, you know, all cars come back to pit lane or finish your lap. And um, I came out of, came out of corporate Hill um, 
and heard that in my ear. And then Trav got on the radio and said, you're up, you know, you're, you're, you're on your quickest lap. And I thought, Oh, I can push on here. There's two more corners. It'll be fine. Um, Needless to say, it wasn't fine. I um I met I met some river water across the road at the second to last corner at Sydney Motorsport Park and fired it into the outside wall, um and yeah broke the car and then limped it back to the pit lane, um but unfortunately the damage had been done and we we actually couldn't figure out what the problem was. We think we probably broke some teeth in the steering, um box because we could not get a wheel alignment into it to stay straight to save our lives after that and never got back out for the 300. So technically I've never raced a race in a race car still. Um, and that car has sat on the hoist for the last year and um, we've undone one bolt on it so far. So it's um, going well for the repairs. And you filmed it all too. You made And we filmed it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, what, 10 episode series um, on YouTube of that. So if anyone wants to have a laugh and enjoy our misfortune, they can go back and watch watch <laughs> all 10 episodes and um, see the see the moment as our hearts break as um, everyone else starts the 300 and we don't. Um, but that's how it goes. It certainly gives, you, so gives you a good perspective in the director's seat, doesn't it? When someone's yeah. weekend is unfolding in front of you and you go, oh, no, I know exactly what's going through their mind. Maybe 100%. we don't send a camera down there right now. <laughs> That's it. Sometimes you make that choice to say, oh, you know what? That story can wait. <laughs> we'll we'll still be able to tell it in a, in a couple but of did, hours. But didn't you put your feet up after that? I don't think you got involved in the telecast after that, did you? No, I, I, I mean, I didn't really put my feet up as such. We were still trying to fix the car and then load it on the trailer and, um, you know, tail between our legs. But no, I, I felt like it was in that stage. I, I, you know, if you've given the broadcast over to somebody else and you've told them that you trust them with how they tell the story and what they're doing, um, I felt like it was important to stay out of the stay out of the major role of the broadcast at that stage because you can never allow people to reach their full potential or be able to learn anything if you're always coming back and wrestling the reins back from them, you know, and even though it would have been because I, you know, had what I was doing fail. um, I just personally felt like it sends the wrong message to somebody to tell them you trust them and you know what they're doing and you trust what they're doing. And then to turn up at the the biggest moment of it and say, Oh, well, it's back over to me now, you know? So that sounds a lot more logical than I would have thought. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I mean, I think you've got to trust the people. Yeah, you have I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, it's, it's good. Daniel, back to the that timeline that mm. before COVID, there mm-hmm. was some jobs floating around and would have certainly been activated a season or two earlier within the Victorian mm-hmm. State Circuit Racing Championship. Certainly, yeah. Michael Holloway and Paul Zitti and Dave Vanell and and others there were exceptionally keen to see what you could do. Mm. Uh, and there was certainly you know, over years you were reaching out to various categories and various yep. categories were loving what you were doing for them. Yeah. What actually transpired and how did that, because that's been big party business now for three yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, um, Vic State Race has, has definitely been a client that we've, you know, valued not just not just being a client, but being in partnership with to to grow something in state racing. They really um, you know, cared about what we were doing and really thought that we could be able to be part of that mix. And um, you know, they showed a lot of um belief in us as well through different periods because at the beginning it wasn't very easy, you know, like it still was it's still quite tough. You're doing it without the budgets of, you know, big TV. You don't have any spare people on the ground or anything like that. Uh, we actually 
what I'd been doing Vic State race stuff on and off for, you know, five years by that stage, I guess. Um, Vic Sports Dan's HQs, uh, MG Racing. Um, we'd, you know, done different rounds with all of them. You know, I had a good relationship with with multiple people down there. We just, like anything, trying to find the budget to make it all work was, was the hardest part. Um, and then I guess it would have been mid-COVID when that first reopening sort of happened. Um, I remember Paul Vernell and I started chatting. Um, he'd wanted to find out about a bit of coverage for MG, MG Car Club. Um, and Paul and I were on the phone and he said to me, how much would it be for, you know, if we did, if we did a live broadcast and I remember, you know, him asking that and, and when you, when you've been doing it for as probably as long as I have, not that it's that long, but it's still a reasonable amount of time. And you've had that many conversations, you sort of have that moment of like, look, I can tell you the number, but let's be honest, we're never going to hit it. You know, like you, you know where the world sits or you think, you know, where the world sits, so I had the conversation with Paul and I said to him, here's the number, you know, I don't, I don't think it's probably realistic, especially, I think we were three weeks out from round one and um, Paul says to me, I'll leave it with me, you know, uh, you know, Paul Vernell, he's, he's a very understated, understated man, but knows what he's doing. You know, he's a, he's a real believer in, in grassroots motorsport and motorsport as a whole. He loves, he loves the whole industry and does a real, a lot for it behind the scenes. He's probably one of the biggest unsung heroes of, of motorsport in this, in this level, um, in a lot of ways. And Paul said, leave it with me. And then, I think two weeks later, he calls me up out of the blue. We hadn't spoken again. I'd gotten busy with whatever I was doing. And he said, we've got the budget, come on down. And I was just like, what? Like how, you know, this doesn't happen. What are you talking about? I was fully expecting the negotiation to happen and what do we do and how do we make it work? And there, there was um, negotiations, Daniel. There yeah. 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 No, I know. I know there was a lot happening behind the scenes. Um, and I, I especially know that now with, with discussions like pe with people like Michael Holloway and, and, you know, people on the committee and, and buyers and, and, you know, there's been some mega supporters of, of me and what we do um, that really, really made it happen. And, um, to to the credit of Vic State Race, you know, all the categories um, came around to supporting it. Um, and once it got that full category support, we were we were we were up and away. You know, um, it, it just really needed that belief from everybody, and we were able to, knowing that we had a season put together enabled us to invest and enabled us to start doing some of those things we wanted to do because you know. I'm going to get five uses out of this at least. I'm going to be able to use that to launch into that, to grow this other area. Do you know what I mean? So we were able to build graphics packages. We were able to create track maps and and package content and get things together and develop things like live onboards because we had the time and we could foresee being able to use it. Do you know what I mean? So that belief from Big State Race really changed where where we were going, the trajectory we were on, being able to work closely with the committee of Vic State Race Inc. and have open lines of communication with them and a group of people who, you know, believed that we could do it. Also, you know, like anything, there were there were difficult times. There were times where ultimately we dropped the ball. Um you can't help that sometimes with the way technology works. But once you learn how that technology can have its failings, you can put more 
systems in place to make sure you're never caught like that again. And that's what, you know, we, we asked them to believe in us to be able to do. And they, they said, yep, you're, you know, we'll, we'll continue on this journey. And we, we all continued on it. And I think since then it's really been able to spread its wings and showcase what state racing can be. Um, Vic State Race, hand on heart to me, produces some of the best racing you'll ever see. Um, I think sometimes the saloon cars can be more action in one of their races than a whole season of supercars. You know, you get variety in, in all different categories. MG Racing puts on a show every single time with what seems like an endless array of different British and, and MG cars um, and sports fans, you know, they're, they're the, they're the gods of thunder that everybody loves to see. And we'd love to see more of them, but being able to just work with groups on that process really just meant so much to us. And for me personally as well, that I was able to, you know, really invest in, in what I wanted to do and the way I wanted to do it. Something I discussed with you whilst uh, we were over at, the bend your, mm. your first big international good gig with the yeah. Lamborghini Super Trofeo was a real grassroots story with a, a young racer whose both grandparents are are in you know they're not in great health yeah and it's something that I had explained to me by a competitor and it was that these grandparents could enjoy their grandson's motorsport mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. the level of live streaming and um, you know the the way it was put to me was that it, it's extended people's lives. Yeah, being able to watch the live stream and and yeah. as a as a motorsport commentator and uh, sorry as a, as an ex racer unemployable race car driver and, and now commentator yeah um, it was like wow you just don't think of that so, sometimes we no. get, just get so engrossed in what is or isn't going right or whatever we're talking about you yeah. just go wow that's yeah. when you say grassroots that's grassroots that's a kid going racing and his grandparents mm-hmm. getting joy out of it in their yeah. you know in their not such great days. That's it. It's all about those being able to tell the story and help tell the story of, of people in that level, but also be able to keep those human connections for their family members and friends and sponsors who are actually people who are directly involved in, in what they do. Do you know what I mean? Like it's much more of a community than people realize motorsport, I think in a lot of ways and being able to be part of, of that community and keeping people together is, is a huge thing for us. And, you know, we want to bring as much professionalism as we can to the whole endeavor and uh, showcase it all as best we can as well. You mentioned um, uh, the uh, the Ben meeting recent mm-hmm. times. I gather that would be a milestone event for you, being inter- an international broadcast. Certainly, I thought the Shannon's Trophy Series was a milestone. I thought the quality really picked up on on what your the vision that you're putting out. Yeah. What other milestones along the way? Once it stand out. Oh. Once it sort of jumped you up from one level to the next. Yeah, I, I think um, I think doing that first uh, live broadcast of the Pro Nationals was was a huge one, um, just for learning how things go together. Um, between that, there was probably I, I wouldn't say that there was really milestones in between there as such. We worked with with some clients who um, at times were probably looking for too much from us for where we were. Um, and, and in my, in my side, I didn't understand that either and wasn't able to really, you know, uh, I guess have those discussions that needed to happen with like, look, we're, we're not able to do that. You know, we can't, we can't get to that 
that jump higher, you know, as far as you need us to go or desire us to go for the budget we're in. Um, I think there was a lot of learning in those few years that really helped us develop our product and create what we needed to create. Um, the next real jump and milestone really was the the Vic State Race Series to be able to showcase that and um, develop where it could be. Um, then I think probably, yeah, the, the Lamborghini Super Trofeo event at the Bend was a huge moment for us because that was the Bend themselves putting full faith in us that we could develop and, and showcase a product. And, um, you know, Wayne Williams uh, running the circuit over there was someone who we'd been involved with back in the in the Winton 300 days um, and been able to work with him um, on, those, on those projects. So for him to be able to showcase that, you know, interest in what we we're doing that 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 he's he's been a friend in many ways for for many years and once he went to the bend we just didn't have huge amounts of opportunities to work together but um for him to be able to say you know we have trust in what you can do um his team there as well of of yuri and and cameron jew who's a massive motorsport tragic cameron actually was someone who worked with us back in the day as a cameraman as well because he just loved motorsport so much and was heavily involved in south australian motorsport to be able to work with that was was a huge thing and then the trophy series was really something that um it'd been a goal for a long time you know i remember um something back in 28, late 2017, um, I'd had a few meetings actually with Graham Sattler from Motorsport Australia and, and Shannon's Nationals um, back then about what we were doing with Blendline. And, and I feel like Graham's been a... Um, a great guy to chat to along the way as well. He's he's really sort of seen what we were trying to build and what we could develop and that if it had a bit of nurturing, it could have become the next step. Through circumstance, we weren't able to work together um, through the Shannon's Nationals, but to be able to get to a point where now we're working with the trophy series and being able to develop what we can do and be given those tools to, um, you know, get it to seven plus and, and really try to make it look like a TV product because Motorsport Australia, the people there um, who are involved with, with trophy series have a great vision for what it's going to be, uh, are willing to do the little extra things to make sure that it looks like a TV product for how they want things to be. Um, and are also very good at just the communication side of things and making sure that we're all talking and all on the right page for, you know, where things can be, where it can feasibly work right now, what needs a little bit of fine tuning, what needs a little bit more extra effort from both sides. There's always work you can do to make things better um, and being able to just showcase where we can be if we're, you know, given that that platform and that ability. And that's not to take away from our other clients who we work with who, you know, are at different levels that we still, you know, work just as hard as we possibly can to showcase their racing. Just, you know, there's little extra bits that they're willing and wanting to do that work within their budgets that mean that we can showcase it a little bit more. Daniel, the, um... the, the going to air thing with, um, with 7 Plus, um that's obviously uh, a new step to you, providing vision yep. to a, a commercial provider. Yeah. Um, how did that, I guess, how did that sit with you once once the contracts were signed and you were heading off into the, into yeah. the job? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it brought its own stress or it brings its own stress because, um, you know, of course, when we're going to our YouTube platform and our Facebook page and, and those of the categories and events as well, um, in some regards, we 
control it, I guess you could say a lot more in that sense of like, we can see the end system as well. So if we start to see any sort of issue, we can sort of rectify it and be able to, you know, know what we're doing and make changes on the fly and things like that. With, with seven plus it's, um, you know, you're, you're sending to a, a network that, you know, knows the tech specs they need and they know what they're looking at and they know what they're, what they're getting. So there's a little bit of pressure because of course, you know, we're still all entirely self-taught in many ways within what we're doing. So it sort of, in some ways was, was great because it validated some of the stuff that we were doing and it was like, oh, okay, we are on the right track here. Um, in some ways it was very scary because of course you don't know if you're necessarily doing the right things, you know, you think you are, you've put all those processes in place, but until you actually front up to, to someone who is the, you know, they're, they're industry leaders in a lot of ways um, with what you're doing. Um, you don't know if, if it's a hundred percent exactly what they need. So, you know, we are able to see that and had a good clear communication with, with channel seven or seven plus and the people there and the production team. And they, they were happy with what we were doing and there was actually very little that we needed to change or tune with what we were doing. So that was really nice. The other thing that I wanted to bring up was the fact that uh, it's just not all circuit racing either. You've done rallies, yep. you've done hill climbs, yep. live stream hill climbs, which is a, yep. a fairly arduous task in itself. Yeah, uh, and also some boat racing. Yeah, yeah, no, we we we've done pretty much anything that we can that's got a motor and is racing. We've we've tried to be involved with along the way. Um, you know, we've done we've done um, what do you call it, speedway, uh, flat track, you know, solo speedway bikes. Um, power boats in Cogra Bay is always a really, really good time. The St. George Powerboat Club put on a brilliant show and hopefully we'll be doing that again in a couple of weeks. We're just putting together a few details on what that broadcast could look like at the moment. Um, Bathurst Hill Climb along the way was was very good. That that committee and club is very accommodating and that was actually probably, actually, now that you mention it, one of the things that was was um, quite a big thing for us. We were able to live broadcast the the hill climb championships back in what 2018, I think it was, mm. um, from Bathurst, and that got that got such a massive audience that it's the sort of thing that we'd really love to do again. And Motorsport Australia supported it at the time, um, and I think they would again if they were given the opportunity. It just hasn't really come together because you sort of needed to be on a more free weekend and and in a place where it can actually work. And a lot of hill climbs in in Australia and, and New South Wales are from a bit more regional areas that are maybe not necessarily the best network connectivity or or the best places for being able to showcase hill climbs. Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, there was at the end of last year, there was um, some a foray into um, historic racing as well, yes. which in yep. the world of motorsport, you, you think of Goodwood and those places, and they were some of the pioneers of live streaming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You sort of, I sort of look to the historic scene in Australia and go, wow, we're, we don't want to miss an opportunity to get a younger audience watching this no. stuff. And yeah. That, that's what you you achieve with live streaming. Yep. And I guess the Victorian State Series, and you can line up any of the committee members there and allay any concerns around, oh, if we live stream it, people aren't going to come to the races. Yeah. Uh, you know what? What actually happens, people see it online and go, oh, I didn't know yeah. that racing was on. Let's yep. go to the track. Exactly. I've we've, we've found, and it's not to, you know, 
I guess, overblow our own trumpet in many ways, but we've actually found a, a lot of the times being involved with, with events and live broadcasting them, number one, gets more people there year on year because more people decide they want to try to compete at events they know are happening. Um, and so, you know, entries will often not necessarily go up but you know stay quite strong with what the competitor level is at um people will turn up at events and and we found a lot of competitors as well have found it easier to not necessarily get big sponsorship but get sponsorship that helps them get to events you know somebody pay their fuel or somebody pays tires or little things like that that happen um along the way which just help everybody you know continue on we I think one of the great stories was at the start of this year at Sandown when Lee Partridge won won the Formula V race. And then afterwards, his phone was blowing up with all these friends and family who were like, I saw your race and I saw you win and how good's that? And, um, you know, I think for him, that was a huge thing because he's been involved for a long time in Melbourne Performance Centre and other, other race teams along the way, supporting a lot of other people. So for him to be able to get a win and it be seen was a big thing. But um, yeah, I, I mean, we've been involved with uh winton historic festival uh festival of speed and um sandown historic through the vhrr and mg mg car club and um what we've found there is i mean i was looking at the data um just recently and the age demographic for both of those events skewed quite young i think this um sandown actually skewed mostly under 30 you know which is which is huge for historic racing for that many people to be actually tuning in and watching it from those demographics and that's the only way we're going to keep historic racing operating this country is to be able to have more people who you know buy the cars and get them out there and race because unfortunately with historic racing you know of course the people who who love the cars most are the generation who watch them race and as that generation um, no longer is able to race that's how it is Daniel, at this point, we, uh, we're we well and truly out over the hour here. I like to ask a couple of questions, and it's a double-edged sword. For sure. The, the greatest moment in your, let's say, in your Blendline TV career, and oh. someone or something that just irks you every time you go to an event, and you go, no, this is going to happen, or that person's going to be there. You don't have to say a name, but uh, do they exist? <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a couple of tough ones. Um so it was greatest greatest event greatest moment um i think probably recently being able to execute two or three really because we were at phillip island only only a week before with vic state race as well um being able to execute three three large events especially two international slash national events um back to back um was a huge moment for us and really made me feel like we've been able to crest that moment of we can do these big events and not only can we do them we can we can make sure that we can do them one after the other um and that's a that's a really really big thing um what else what what irks me at events um probably probably the 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 biggest things that irk me is knowing that it's going to be a difficult time with things like music over PAs when when we're having to broadcast because that makes things really <laughs> difficult to to not get a copyright strike or the like, which you know really just puts a painful dampener on on what you've got going on. No, I appreciate those. Uh, definitely <laughs> it appreciate is a bit of a those. Thorn in our side. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely appreciate those. And I do appreciate the fact that I just gave you an opportunity to throw as many individuals under the bus as you could, but you batted it away like a, <laughs> like a professional. Um, 
Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on your 10th anniversary of your fantastic operation there at Blendline TV. And um, I think onwards and upwards and uh, from, I know from both Gary and I, we've always enjoyed the, the adventure that, Mm -hmm. uh, that comes to reality when you're working within the Blendline TV's um, um, realms. And certainly Gary and I have got two more fantastic race meetings, at least this year with you, with, um, (laughs) With um, and you just race assured race. yourself of a, a job going onwards. <laughs> I'm meeting hopefully, with MA. I'm meeting with MA tomorrow. So hopefully, maybe hopefully not. Many, hopefully, many more to come. Can I also just thank because I didn't get a chance to in any stories throughout the night, but um, one of the major proponents and and people who's been there along the whole journey has been Shane Rogers as well. He's a friend of all of ours, and um, the belief he has shown in in the business and the desire for it to get better has been something that. I honestly don't think I'd be where I am today without without his um, involvement and his dedication. And him and I have so many chats on the phone about how we're going to do things and where it's all going to go. And he's such a passionate motorsport fans and a tragic open wheeler fan as well um, that he really cares about it. And without Shane, yeah, it just wouldn't be what it is. So thank you to him. I certainly like the rule book and um, sometimes when I'm on air and I'm, I'm struggling with what the rule might be that we have to apply to this red flag or whatever it might be. And yeah. then Shane just pipes up with, Oh, I think you'll find that. Schedule C. And it's like, get on the, on the button and go, thanks Shane. That's enough thanks. now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can use that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think he wrote the rule, didn't he? For many did. of them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Many if you them. ever end up chatting to him, you'll have to discuss with him the time that he evicted a coffee cup from the starting grid at Queensland Raceway. He loves that story. So you'd be able to go over that one with him. <laughs> certainly would. Well, the next race meeting together will be Queensland Raceway. That so will we'll be, be able to be able to relive the, the good times. <laughs> Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Really uh, good, good stuff. And, um, yeah. you know, from, from all of us here at the Grassroots Racing Podcast, uh, we've really enjoyed your, your company and we certainly love your product. Gary and I make sure in every news service we do, we mm. mention the next uh, <laughs> BLTV broadcast. Generally, because one of us is uh, marking on at it. That's probably why. <laughs> I was going to say your integral parts of what happens in behind the scenes as well. So thank you very much, guys. Yeah. Good on you, Daniel. Uh, thank you. Guys, yeah, great to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Blendline TV with uh, the founder and the entrepreneur behind the scenes there in Daniel Beckinsale and also sometimes the voice of, the, uh, of Blendline TV as well. Yeah, uh, interesting insight just about how difficult it can be. And you and I both know from personal experience just some of the uh, trauma and drama that happens that, that the viewer never sees and how close to something not happening has not happened. Yeah. And Daniel, you know, to his credit with his team, with his wife Liz as well, it's just uh, made it all work. And uh, and as I said when talking to him, I thought that the the band and then the latest trophy series uh, coverage they did was really showed that they could match some of the best going on in the country. Well, you and I have both been to air with all different sorts of production companies, and uh, sometimes there's hundreds of people in the production company. Doesn't actually make the end product that goes to air a lot different. It probably creates a lot less stress for the individuals in in there because it can yeah. be carried over numerous individuals but they do a a tremendous job and that bringing to life the grassroots racing stories and and you know people is is fantastic yeah and with such a small crew as well you know you've got cameraman the director maybe one guy running around the pits with a camera and an interviewer 
he sometimes one and the same, you know, to do yeah. it all. And it, it looks like they've got heaps, but they haven't. No, that's right. It does. It does. Uh, it's like a couple of people on an exercise bike riding crazy out the back of the <laughs> power going, isn't it? Um, so that's great to have had Daniel on board. Um, sadly, we start our news today with a, uh, a great friend of motorsport, which we we've heard sadly has passed away. And I refer to, Kent Yulden, his his brother Brett, a long, long time racer, coveted racer in the at the Thunderdome and in production cars himself, as well as uh, in TCM, and of course the father of the 2017 Bathurst uh, Supercars winner in in Luke um, and Kent, of course himself. Sports sedan stalwart was around in Victoria when the the category began with a couple of Tiranas and his Cortina. Then the 1990 and 1991 Australian production cars champion in a in an era that was massive with with factory backing from just about all the the manufacturers. Well, and then he's but per- basically just Ford and Holden, and it was that actually was, I yeah. thought that was a the the best production car championship uh, leading up to the current day. Really, wasn't agreed it? because yep. uh, six cylinder cars. Uh, they had a two and a half liter class as well, but uh, Ford v Holden, Kent Yildon was. A gentleman always, every time I met him, and I met him through both those years, he won that championship in 1991, and I just thought, what a great guy. And uh, most of those people in that series at the time were really good people as well. Ken Douglas was another guy in a Falcon. You know, when Ken's a massive figure in the world of motorsport these days, you know, he's a a problem solver. Give you an idea, there was Mal Rose, Tony Scott in in a Holden, um, uh, Jim Therafoss, Peter Fitzgerald in Holden's, and you know the oh, Murray Carter, uh, and... Brad Jones in the Starion that era. Well, no, that was before. before that was that before was... they went to the six cylinder series. Yeah. So then you had, you know, you had uh, under two liter, uh, two and a half liter series with uh, Harry Barguana and uh, um, Murray Carter and guys like that yeah, running around. Certainly, and of course, um, won the first ever Group C, uh, Group NC championship in his Monaro. So a sad, sad loss to a mate, the Bear as he was affectionately known. And um, i got to tell you personally, between both Kent and Brett, uh, two of the most honest, generous guys in the pits, if you're ever having a, a bad event and you wanted to chat about something, um, they would give you their ear and you could chew their ear off and they'd give you the, the right advice to get the, get the thing back on track and straighten up. So sad loss to Australian motorsport there with, with Kent. Um, other news. Happier news going around, Gaz. Of course, the the trophy series has reignited that level of uh, of national motorsport at Sydney Motorsport Park. It reignited the uh, the original Shannon's Australian Motor Racing Championships, really, hasn't it? That's what it feels like way back in the uh, mid noughties when that started. This is what this feels like, and let's hope. And but it's felt at a higher level than what it was when it started back in in two thousand six, two thousand five whenever that happened. And I just hope it just uh, blossoms from here on because it, it's got all the right ingredients. It does. It's um, it's it's landing itself right smack bang where it is absolutely needed. Of course, we saw um, we saw numerous categories, radicals. Mark cars had their first run, in my opinion, maybe just a bit early. Um, uh, certainly, we had um, Australian production cars and uh, the GT4, the burgeoning field being sort of blended in as far as uh, as that's concerned in there as well? Yeah, the, well, we, Shane Smollin and Justin Rouge won three races and that took Shane's tally to seven. The last race, uh, 
who had his colours lowered by Nash Morris in the Mercedes and Mercedes broke through for a win. First race of the weekend, four different GT4 manufacturers in the top four spots. Best of the production car series, which is running alongside it for this year only. Uh, Ian Sharon won all four races and um, particularly strong was the uh, Colby Cow and Lindsay Kearns Mustang. And uh, and in the latter part of it, the Andrew Medici Ford Mustang was strong as well. Unfortunately, Gee, they had a tough Sharon... weekend with that car again, didn't they? A, 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 a controller issue in the transmission, then an ECU issue in the the engine, and gearbox. then once it got going, they really pushed. Yeah, up. they had a gearbox drama, but not a not as funny as the um, as the, the production car meeting, uh, New South Wales production car meeting uh, a week or so beforehand, where they put a new program into it and. The uh, the computer acted as though the thing had been stolen, so it just went straight into relief mode. <laughs> the other thing was the improved production. The improved production nationals, their one-off festival um, going into the weekend. Adam Poole had set lap record after lap record at local race meetings at Sydney Motorsport Park, and seriously was never headed. It's in fact one of the most comprehensive improved production nationals campaign that that I've ever seen. Yeah, and a little bit unfortunate for Ryan Gordon in the under two litre championship. He won the race but was disqualified, so uh, had a ride height issue. And so uh, Kurt McCready nabbed his second in a row. Which was a good result. Like he was thereabouts on the pace all weekend as well. As, as well. So uh, terrific, um, terrific result there. The only, I guess yeah, improved the production that, down on numbers a bit was. Yeah, that was something. that was the point I was going to make. You know, there was all the talk about all these Holden cars that were all coming and. Basically, the only one that turned up was Adam Pools. <laughs> yeah, which was which was a shame. But I tell you what, um, he has played the game. He's made all the right adjustments to his car. He's made. He's got good people on his side. Dean Lilly's done a lot of work on that car. And full credit to him. He won the nationals, and uh, and there's no one going to take that away from him. He won the Victorian Championship the year before. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what his plans are now, but you, you'd have to suggest he's crested the wave. What might be next? I don't know. No, go back to back, try and beat Ray Hissop's record, I suppose. That's the next thing you look at. Uh, other categories we should touch on. Um, certainly, in the, you mentioned the Radicals. Young Alex Gardner, 15 years old, first uh, track meeting in a, in a car, not a, on a cart, and um, had his first win. And then, unfortunately, had his first DNF the following day. Which, so... Um, yeah, with a gearbox drama, which Peter Patton won that second race. But what a good field of radicals. 20 cars out there. We've got this great uh, three-way uh, team thing going with a rise out of Western Australia. You've got uh, GWR out of New South Wales. And then, of course, you've got uh, Valandi Rosso, the, I think they're Queensland-based. I know Josh Hunt's involved in it. And he Chris, Chris Papadopoulos and the crew yeah. there, yeah. yeah Look, so... it's, it's actually really interesting. Of course, the other the other one was the returning um, Melinda Price. Um, she well, was driving part with of Greg that Kenny as well. And that was, yeah. that was great to have Melinda back at the racetrack. One of the things that really stood out with Alex's win, Gaz, I think, is that Chris Perini and Peter Padden are absolutely guns in Radicals. And he didn't hand it, he, like they didn't hand it to him, but he just he got it and those two guys were sort of left scratching their head a little bit going wow this is uh this pace has really stepped up hasn't it yeah we're talking about alex gardner of course um yes. yeah the other but um also uh making somewhat of a return he's been around radicals for a while as a mentor and a and uh and a, a teacher 
is uh, Bart Moore, who was actually the fastest qualifier. So he has lost nothing and he'll be gearing up for the time attack later this year. So, um, and make sure that he holds on to his uh, one minute 19 point, whatever it is, uh, record. Yeah, that he has record. There. yeah. And it's no, the sun always shines on Bart, doesn't it? I've always said, uh, totally away from the track. If, if you hear Bart laughing in the pits, you just can't help but join in. You, you might not <laughs> yeah. even be within 10 garages of him. He, he loves happy. going to the racetrack. He loves uh, car racing. Yeah, well, we should mention the Toyota Scholarship Series. It was the third round, and this was basically to earn an invite to the first round of the main series, which starts at Townsville Supercars in a matter of a few weeks. And after uh, Marcus Liddell won the first three races at Sydney Motorsport Park and Matt Hillier won the second three races at Phillip Island, Max Gager won the first set of races here at Sydney Motorsport Park. Unbelievable, but you could have three different uh, winners at three different meetings and the ones that previously won were basically nowhere. I have been massively impressed with what the scholarship series has brought out. The Toyota Gazoo Racing 86 scholarship series to me so far in 2023 has delivered the best racing. I didn't see the first three races at Sydney Motorsport Park, but you did and you told me they were fantastic. I've seen the last six at Phillip Island and at Sydney Motorsport Park and I tell you what, you squash your face up against the window trying to watch that. It is, I think, one of the great rules in that series is that there's demerit points for poor driving. <laughs> Stephen Johnson is up there and he's wielding uh, quite a nice little rule book in that. And it's kept the racing to good racing, not yeah. not teeing off on people. Not... Well, the, the only incidents have been accidents, really, hasn't it? Correct. Yes. Yeah. There's no. There's been no malice delivered offs or anything yeah. like that. So Which is great. good on them. Um, um, the the whole crew have done such a tremendous job, and the management behind it. Look, it's very very no fuss. It's it's quite a fair way removed from the the actual. Um, Toyota Gazoo Racing 86 main series that runs with the supercars. It's been a very low-key presence around it, but certainly some some great, you know, there, there is a reward at the end. And I think what the really good thing is that there's going to be more of these cars as the model changes in the main game, like like what Porsche do. You're going to have state series, series yeah. aren't we? You're going to have, we're going to have some fantastic racing yeah. with these things at, at state level. So and let's face great. it, it is a stepping stone and people from there will go on to do Porsches or some other category, maybe even go into an open wheeler category like S5000. I reckon we can only hope. Few, I reckon there'll be a few go into Trans Ams. That's a, yep. that's a that has carved itself a very deep pathway in Australian motorsport over very the last popular sort of two years. At, yeah. um, certainly at the ARG meetings. So they hold the, uh, they'll hold the key, I think. Yeah, at those I think meetings. you're right. I think you're right. And uh, and sports sedans did too at the uh, last oh. round, biggest entry at at Winton. Yeah, well, it was absolutely fantastic. As you should have been there, I should have been there. I was enjoying <laughs> uh, my uh, black blood with the yellow trace and what calling Lamborghinis at the bend. <laughs> um, yeah, Gaz, no, you had a secret desire to be to be at uh, Winton, didn't you? I was watching it closely on the timing <laughs> screen. Let's put it that way for sure. Gaz, um, I'm, I've got no other news. Uh, touch touch on what's happening this weekend. I think that's important to yep. get in we've got a state championship meeting at uh, cargo.com.au or otherwise known as Wanderoo Raceway and state championship meeting at Simmons Plains in Tasmania so they're the, the two major national meetings coming up the following weekend there's a glut of stuff on there's Townsville for supercars there's a super series at Morgan Park which has TA2 on it which is 
like the other Trans Am series, I guess you'd say, uh, RX-8 Cups. Interesting development there. Jake Camilleri will be running in RX-8 Cup at uh, Morgan Park. So that'll be something to see how he fares against some of those hot shots that are in that series. And we've got a night meeting down here at Sydney Motorsport Park for the New South Wales State Championships uh, on the same weekend. Big, big Plenty coming up. Absolutely plenty coming up. Gaz, I think that draws to a close episode number 28. Sadly, um, on the same week that Kent Yulden passed away. So that was sad. And we'll uh, wave goodbye to, to him at a service uh, on Friday. Um, Gaz, for episode 28, thank you. It's been a, uh, a good night. To thank you. With Daniel Beckinsale. And we will see you again very soon. Indeed. You've just listened to another Network R production. 